we will um, doing be, be praying a little bit more uh, as we go out to, throughout the service, but particularly uh, we have some other uh, children to pray for because after the sermon we're going to have uh, uh, infant baptism and a baptism by profession of faith, and uh, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. So uh, we sang Psalm 112. I'm going to read it. And we are going to use this passage as a way of considering what God would teach us about the flourishing life, because that's one of the main themes of the Psalms, is how to to live a life that's truly blessed. And uh, so let's uh, hear God's word as it comes to us from Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. Let's pray. O Lord, our great God in heaven, we praise you that you've given us your word to tell us about who you are, about who we were created to be, so we can see our own sin and how far we've fallen, but also that we might desire the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might see his image clearly displayed in the scriptures, and that you, by your spirit, might conform us unto him. And so, Lord, we pray that as we hear this, that you would pardon all the ways in which we fall short, and that you would work in us by your Spirit to take these ideas and thoughts that you've given to us, impress them upon our hearts, and give us strength to fulfill them and to be conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The idea of a flourishing life is often compared to a plant. Uh, because you think of a plant as growing really green and big and having flowers and fruit. And in the, in the Psalms, it's no different. It, talks, it says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, a really big tree. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God, Psalm 92. And in the um, passage that we read, so our call to worship, Psalm 128, said, you will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. So there's the comparison to the plants that are growing and, and flourishing and verdant and green, have fruit. And, and the psalmist, like many others, takes that picture and says, uh, that's what we want human life to be, filled with life, flourishing, producing fruit. And here it's described in a variety of ways what the flourishing life is in a way that probably would connect with a lot of different people. Um, and for one, it says that the flourishing life is one 
where our children are blessed, where they're mighty in the land, where they're doing well and being blessed. It, it talks about wealth and resources within the house that uh, exist. It talks about a good reputation, that their name will be remembered and held high in honor. It talks about emotional stability, that so people can enjoy relative peace outwardly and inwardly. And I think that that's probably a definition of the fruitful life, the flourishing life, that most people would agree with and in some ways would certainly say, we want that. But the trouble is we often go about it completely the wrong way. We focus on these things as if they were ends in themselves. Or we make them too big in our lives in comparison to other things that are more important. And we begin and end with our own experience and, our own, and with ourselves and our desire for our own prosperity. But this passage teaches us something completely different. A completely different way of pursuing a flourishing life. And what it teaches us is really two things. One, that, we, that it begins with God, with an openness to Him and what He wants to do in our lives. And secondly, with an openness to other people as well. So wide open to God, wide open to others. And that's really the two things we'll consider in this passage. So listen to how the flourishing person is described. Of course, those are the, so the things we talked about are some of the results of, of the flourishing life, but it begins with God. And because we are made to exist in and through God, as, uh, as Augustine, the great theologian, says, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, O Lord. And you can see that this is what the righteous man does. This is what is described throughout the Psalms. In the first verse, it says, blessed are those who fear the Lord. So the idea of fearing the Lord in the scriptures is, is not necessarily cowering in fear before him, though if you fight against God, you will probably end up doing that eventually. But it is really to the idea of having, holding him in high esteem. It's having great thoughts of God. That the person who has a flourishing life thinks about God, and he thinks highly of God. He thinks of his, of, of his greatness, he thinks of his power, he thinks of his justice, he thinks of his love, and so he is said to be one who fears the Lord. Secondly, it says that they make great delight, they have great delight in his commandments. So they not only, they not only think great thoughts of God, they think great thoughts of what he says, and not just that these are great things or good things or interesting, but they delight in them, that it gives them great joy to hear what God says. As we sang earlier, it will be my joy to say, your will, your way. When God says to do something, it is the delight of the righteous, flourishing man to say yes to what the Lord commands. And so as a result, he is one, as we, we looked at in Psalm 1 a few weeks ago, who meditates on the law of God day and night. He takes it into his heart. He doesn't just read it and pass over it but he lets it dwell inside his heart and cause him joy. Then the third thing, and we're going to camp out here a little bit longer because there's more details on this, is that their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. The man who is flourishing is one who trusts the Lord. So they not only think great thoughts of God, 
They not only think that he is great, that his love is great, that his power is great, that his glory is great, but they also see it as being for them or for us as believers in the Lord. In other words, that the Lord not only can do good, but that he will. That is the trust that we have. And as a result, they experience peace because they know that their life, that their blessing is not in the hands of any king or ruler or person or member of their family or, or even member of their church or pastor, but in the Lord himself. And so listen to the remarkable statement that we find it, we have in verse 7. The righteous man who fears the Lord, it says, they will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. They will have no fear of bad news. Notice he doesn't say there's no such thing as bad news. They get bad news, but they see something beyond the bad news, which is the care of the Lord for them. So that if they lose their job or lose a person in their life or if things don't go well in their nation or if things don't go well in their church or if things don't go well in their personal life or if they have, they have bad health or struggle, it's not the, the, their highest reference point. Their highest reference point is the Lord himself, and they have confidence that in the end, he's going to do them good, that they are going to be blessed. And again, it says it reinforces that by what it says in verse 8. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. And in the end, they will look on triumph on their foes. That even as they see many things opposing them in this life, people and things and problems and situations and systems. And they say, our hearts are secure because we know that in the end, we triumph. That is the message. And you know, if you just read this verse in isolation, you might think, you might think this is kind of almost somewhat flippant. Well, they have no fear of bad news, and that's the end of it. So they hear bad news? Nope, no fear. But... If you read the rest of the Psalms, and we're going to talk about this more in the, in the weeks and months to come, you'll see that this isn't, it's not like a, a lack of emotional response to struggles or trials or difficulties. Rather, it takes those difficulties and trials and bad news that they get, and they bring it before the Lord, and they wrestle with it before the Lord, and that brings them to a resolution to say, even though things are going bad, even though I'm surrounded by enemies, even though 10,000 may fall on my side, he says, the Lord is my helper. And so it's not just a, a one-time statement. It's a, there's a wrestling with it. Even as our Lord Jesus, as he went to the cross, had to wrestle with it before the Father, coming to the resolution where he would say, not my will, but yours be done. And one of the things I want you to remember as we look at this and the trust in the Lord is that, is that when, whenever we see this picture of the man, the blessed man, the, the first blessed man that we're talking about is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because he is the man, literally in the Hebrew, blessed, it says blessed is the person or blessed are those, but blessed is the man, and that man is the Lord Jesus Christ who trusted the Lord completely, who kept loving others even when it got hard, and who went all the way to the cross. And so we recognize that if we are going to be this type of person, then it is only because he has been that type of person, and we in him become 
that type of person. And it is true that the Lord that, um, that we believe, that the Scriptures tells us, tell us that when we come to Jesus Christ and we trust Him as our Savior, then His righteousness is counted as ours. As if we did everything Jesus had done, as if we had suffered all that He suffered, that's legally ours. But then we want that also to become inwardly ours through a process of transformation. And that can happen. And I want to share with you a story that I read this week of someone who learned to trust in the Lord and to take, when he's got bad news, to process it before the Lord. His, na- his name is Dag Hammarskjöld. He was the Secretary General of the United Nations. John F. Kennedy called him the greatest statesman of the 20th century. And when he died, they discovered by his bed a journal. And, of course, here's this leader who's been involved with all kinds of things going on in the world, and so they want to open this up. What was really going on behind the scenes? Who did he hate, <laughs> they might say? Who's, who did he want to write about? But that's not what was in it. Instead, what was in it was his wrestlings with God. It was a prayer journal that he wrote in continually. And they were able to correlate it with the events of his life and to know the various struggles he was having and what he was thinking at the time. And so he was, he was one who was called, you might say, a technocrat, non-political. And because he was sort of non-political, he was nominated to be Secretary General in, on April 1st, 1953. And when he heard the news, he thought it was a, an April Fool's joke. <laughs> so he said, no way, no way. But, um, but then he realized, no, this is real. And what people didn't know is that he had been praying for a long time that God would give him a life-defining task. And he'd been praying continually for that. And he realized, this is where the Lord is calling me. His biggest challenge of his time at the United Nations was the crisis of the Suez Canal. So this is in Egypt, and yet Egypt did not actually control it. It was controlled by Britain and France. So Egypt wanted it, though. (laughs) It's in their territory. It's part of their historic lands. And so Egypt uh, sought help from the Soviet Union. And the West, during the Cold War, did not like that at all. And so the World Bank withdrew funding for the construction of the Aswan High Dam on the Nile River. And Nasser, the leader of Egypt, responded by nationalizing the Suez Canal. And so France and Britain threatened the use of force, and then the Soviet Union threatened force, and there was danger not just of armed conflict, but of nuclear conflagration. And so Dag Hammarskjöld worked hard to bring all the people to the table. And a truce was called on October 13th. Two weeks later, though, France, Britain, and Israel launched a surprise attack and seized the canal. And Dag felt shocked and betrayed. And so, and maybe afraid, too. This was bad news. Not just a local conflict, but one that had worldwide implications. And so what did he do? He turned to the Psalms. He turned to the Psalms. And he wrote in his journal, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Psalm 4.8. 
That was his continual recourse. And that's what it can be for us as well. That's what we can have. When we turn to the Lord and the resources he has for us, we can be those people in Christ who have no fear of bad news, who are not shaken, but are steadfast with our hearts in the Lord. It's not the work of a day or a moment, but it's the work of a lifetime where we continually go and we continually grow. What's important for us to see is that the flourishing life is not one that's direct, just directed towards God. It begins there. But what the psalm also teaches us is that, that the life that is flourishing is one that is wide open. Wide open towards people. Because we're made for community. If we see another human being, that is a person we were created to connect with. That is a person that we were made to live in harmony with. So the truly flourishing life is the one that is open to people. As Jesus said, the greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then second is love your neighbor as yourself. This is a sort of fleshing out of what that looks like in this psalm. But let's look at how, this, uh, how the generous life, as I'd like to call it, is de- generous, flourishing life is described here in this passage. First, it is a gracious disposition. It is a gracious disposition. Look at verse 4. It says, Even in darkness light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Now note here, this psalm teaches us that the, the flourishing person is not necessarily a person without problems, because there's darkness. But in the darkness... A light shines, as we sang. I like that, how that song, and in the recording, he goes on over and over again. You know, in, in the dark, the light shines, and I love listening to that. And what he's saying is he's gracious and compassionate. It, what, what is manifested in our lives begins in our hearts with how we think of people. And it is a disposition to be gracious towards them, to have sympathy for them, not to be quick to judge them and to, to want to understand where they're, where they're coming from. That is gracious and compassionate. It follows the pattern of God himself because those who are in the presence of God will, uh, will, become, will obtain the dispositions of God. In Psalm 111, it says, He is the gracious and compassionate God, which is one of the most common descriptions of God in the Old Testament. That he's gracious and compassionate. It's ready to give like God himself. And as Jesus applies it in Matthew 5, what it means is that we can love even our enemies. That we can continue to do good because we have a disposition to give, to understand, to sympathize, and to keep doing good. And then secondly, it manifests itself, it includes a generous spirit. Look at verse 5. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. And so... There's a spirit of generosity, a willingness to give, especially those things that are due to them. He conducts his affairs with justice, but even to go beyond that and to continue to bless others and to want to give, to want to see blessing in the lives of other people. And um, as I always note here, just one side point. If we want to build community too, um, We need to not only be ready to give and have a generous spirit, but we also need to be ready to receive. 
Because other people can't be generous if there's not someone there to receive it. And so um, that's how we build. We give and we share with one another. And other people may not do that, but that's what we're called to do, to have a generous spirit. And then thirdly, it manifests itself in many gifts. In verse 9, it says, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. So in other words, he's giving to those who need. And there's, this is like scattering the gifts, like putting it everywhere. So people are receiving good things uh, from that person. And that's not just money. It, when I think, I thought this week of like two people in my life who I think of as the generous people in my life that I kind of look to as a, as a pattern of people that I want to see and I want to emulate. Um, they were both, they were two women and I'm sure they gave money. I don't know what I don't know much about that. But what I did see is they gave their hearts and their lives to people. They were sort of friend collectors, and and they would collect just a variety of people. And uh, I and I remember going to the birthday party of one of them, and she invited all of her friends. And like so many of us didn't know each other. There was rich. There was poor. People from different backgrounds, different different ethnicities but all because she had scattered her gifts to those ar- around her. So it's, it's our time, it's our money, it's our love, and whatever else God may call us to give. And one of the things that, that this passage teaches us is also how these givers are able to keep going. They're able to, why are they able to give so generously? Why is the righteous man so ready to scatter his gifts? Because he's so confident of the gifts of the Lord. He doesn't give thinking, he doesn't give thinking, um, oh, well, now I will never get anything else. He gives being confident that the Lord, heaven's open and the blessings are just going to keep pouring out. So I can give, and as I give, the Lord will just keep giving more and more and more. And one of the things I've seen in my life is if you don't believe that, just test him. The Lord will continue to bless you. I, someone recently told me that they gave for the first time in a long time. And they gave just a, a relatively small amount of money, but they felt they should. And like within a week, someone gave them a gift of $250. And it was just like that. And that's what um, I've seen over and over and over and again too in my life. Because the Lord supplies us. We can have confidence that we can keep giving. Even when it doesn't feel like we can give. We have more than we think, not because they're so, we're so powerful, but because the Lord is so good. And that's what the Apostle Paul understood so well. I encourage you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is sort of Paul's exposition of this passage. And I won't quote it all, but what he says is, is he encourages them to be generous in giving because the Lord is able to supply you with more seed for sowing. In other words, keep scattering the gifts. Because the Lord's going to keep giving you the seed to keep scattering them. You know, and sometimes you may give and you'll feel like, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, Now things are getting dicey. But the Lord will come through and he'll continue to provide. That is his, his promise. He's going to care. He wants us to give and he wants us to rely on him to give. We should not simply look at our own resources. But we need to look at what he, what he gives us. This doesn't mean that we don't take care of ourselves and even have good things in our home. Notice it says wealth and riches are in your home. That's not wrong. But we, we see we have a, a disposition to give, a disposition to share, 
And as we do that, the Lord will continue to supply what we need. We can have total confidence in that. That's what this passage is teaching us. And here we see also something very important. That our relationship with God is manifested in our life with people. And that's one thing throughout the Bible. Obviously, it's calling us to to see God as big and to trust in Him. But the real intimacy with God and fellowship and communion with Him always manifests itself in a disposition of generosity towards others. It's very different from sometimes how religion is conceived where it kind of becomes a tool on which to persecute people or beat people over the head with. But, but the true religion, as it's described here, always manifests itself in a generous spirit. It always manifests itself in, in kindness. Without sacrificing the truth, without saying that we don't have to change our view, but you can have a firm view of the truth and continue to be gracious and compassionate just as the Lord gives rain on the just and the unjust. So the key thing then, though, if we're struggling with people, is not necessarily to work harder on those relationships, though that's true too. But the key thing is to root ourselves in God more deeply so that we have deeper roots out of which that life can grow, which manifests itself in the life of people. And we can use our relationship with people to tell us sometimes more easily where we really are with God. If we can't deal well with people, then this tells us something about where we are with God. The two are connected. Now notice very carefully what I'm saying here. How people relate to us is not the measure. Because that's their responsibility. People may not respond to us. There are enemies in this passage. Even though this person is gracious and compassionate, who lends freely. People may not respond to the kindness that we give them. But it's our responsibility to continue relating as the true human beings that God has created us to be, that have a loving and gracious disposition that is open to people and open to receive them and bless them. God has not given us charge of other people, but he has given us charge over ourselves, and he's made ample resources available to enable us to relate to others with love and compassion. When we are rooted in God, then we can love people. Even when things get tough, even when, we're, when, when things seem, when we get bad news, even when the darkness comes, a light shines. By God's power, we can be gracious and compassionate in the darkness. And remember, that's what Dag Hammarskjöld found. He said, what enabled him, he was dealing with all kinds of really, really difficult, touchy situations. Right in the middle of the, the, the beginning of the Cold War, when it, it was scarier than at any other time. And so how was he able to do it? We know. He rooted himself in God so they could keep going back to people, back to people, seeking to bring them together, seeking to bring peace. That's what gave him the strength. That's what will give us the strength. Now, one more point in conclusion. Let me end where the psalm begins. Notice that even though this, this passage describes the righteous man in detail, yet, how does it begin? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's the first word. Praise the Lord. It's all due to Him. If there are people who evidence this grace, it is because the Lord has blessed them in that way. 
It is because he has blessed us with a heart that delights in him and trusts in him, that leads us to leave others, lead, love others through his power, that leads us to experience the blessings that he has for us. He crowns his gifts with more gifts. And so we say, as we see God's work in the world, that it is all to his glory. Praise the Lord that there's people like the woman I mentioned, like Dag, like you out there whom I've seen exhibit these virtues, the church of Jesus Christ throughout the world. It's all due to him. Praise the Lord. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be the glory forever. Amen.